Hey, good Wednesday, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Uh, for those that have been uh, listening into the podcast for the last few years, you'll, you'll know that uh, we try really hard to maintain a, uh, an open door policy, welcoming in uh, many new companies and many new faces and experts into the show. Uh, we've had a lot of interest in hearing from this new company that we're welcoming uh, for the first time, and that is Surge Copper. Uh, Surge Copper is advancing the Utsa and Berg projects in British Columbia. They have a 100% ownership in Utsa and a 70% interest in the Berg property uh, with their partner, Sentara. Happy to welcome in CEO Leif Nielsen to the show to give us kind of a general introduction to Surge. So Leif, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Trevor. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, we're... Yeah, we, we are happy to have you join us. Uh, really, let's give us, uh, you know, spend you know, the next minute or two give us, giving us the general overview of Surge, how it came about, and uh, really what, uh, what you're going after here in British Columbia. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I guess the, the very high-level overview of the company is that we, uh, we're, we're very focused in one particular area of, of BC in, in Western Canada. We refer to it as the Huckleberry District by virtue of um, the fact that there is a, a mine there that uh, we effectively surround. That mine is owned by a third party called uh, Imperial Metals. Uh, it's one of their, they have a couple of assets in this, uh, in this province that are, um, you know, on care and maintenance and being looked at uh, for potential restart. They've, they've communicated to the market uh, earlier this year that they're updating uh, life of mine plans uh, on both of those assets. And so Surge, uh, you know, it's, it's a company that has been around for um, a while and has, has owned uh, some properties in this district, but there's definitely a, a refresh going on. There's some new, new people involved with the company, and, and I can uh, touch on that as we go through here. But uh, it's been a, a very busy, call it six to nine months uh, with the company. Uh, as these new people have come on, we've raised a couple rounds of finance. We have uh, quite aggressively consolidated um, a much larger uh, area in this district. So prior to nine months ago, we owned, as you alluded to in the intro, 100% interest in what, what is called the Utsa property, which uh, flanks the southern end of this district. But since then, we have done uh, a few different transactions as well as some direct staking to uh, cover in uh, much of the northern extent of this district as well. So. We built uh, what I think is uh, one of the most special land packages in uh, British Columbia. Uh, the reason for that is, is in part at scale, it's, it's quite big, it's 122,000 hectares, uh, but, but also just the, um, the significance of, of where it is and kind of what's known about, uh, about it already. So uh, it's a very well-endowed um, land position. I mean, if you, if you kind of look at the whole district, including Huckleberry, uh, there's already five known porphyry deposits there. Uh, that includes uh, obviously Huckleberry, which is, is owned by Imperial. Uh, there's a couple other drill confirmed um, occurrences or, or prospects uh, in the area. Uh, and then a lot of showings and a lot of smoke in the form of um, geophysical targets, uh, et cetera. So uh, we, we think that uh, this is a district that has um, you know, already proof of a large endowment, but really significant exploration potential beyond that. Uh, and of course, it's also special or unique in the sense that there's a lot of uh, important infrastructure that already exists in that district. And when you're when you're looking at uh, base metals, as a, I suppose, as compared to uh, gold in particular, 
uh, obviously in a lot of gold mines, you can, you can build them in remote areas. You're, you have to, you know, get the, the gear in to build the place, but um, once you're producing a product, it's, uh, you know, it's valuable enough that you can stick it on a helicopter and take it out. Uh, not, not the case with uh, most base metals and, and bulks and things of that nature. You need the all important, uh, you know, roads, rail, whatever the case, is, case may be, uh, power lines, uh, usually, you know, pretty voluminous uh, water supplies, things of that nature. So where we are in, in central BC is uh, already, you know, well established in that, that, that regard. So it's, uh, it's quite brownfields in nature. Um, lots of that uh, important infrastructure is there. This land position that we have uh, completely contiguous, we are uh, getting after it quite systematically. So, uh, you know, the work that we're doing today is a, a nice blend between advancing these more mature resources that we uh, that we already control, uh, bringing those down the kind of de-risking curve, uh, but also looking for for new discoveries. I, I'm a big proponent. I say this all the time. I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, uh, you know the big source of alpha in the mining business is uh, is mineral discovery. Uh, and when you when you have a land position like this, that uh, you know you've got a lot of the pieces of the puzzle already in place, uh, we think it's a really um, uh, you know exciting area to be investing into to make um, uh, new discoveries. So that's kind of the big picture. We can obviously talk about why BC, why copper, and kind of the, the more general backdrop. But um, uh, but that's sort of where surge sits today. Yeah, uh, I do want to focus on UTSA a little bit just because it is a very large land package. In fact, how many? Can you just clarify how many square kilometers is UTSA? Uh, yeah, so the UTSA property, which is the uh, the southern piece of the district, uh, and this is one which we own a hundred percent of, is uh, is eighty seven thousand hectares, roughly. Wow. Oh, so big land package there. And so, uh, can you kind of take a step back and tell us how? Uh, Surge came to acquire all this land. I mean, was it done in one fell swoop? Was it kind of putting pieces together as the company was formed? Can you kind of walk us through that story? Uh, yeah, so maybe I'll just um, use that question to talk a bit about the, uh, the, 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 the public company's history and then kind of the new, um, the new era, if you will, and what's, what's changed about it. So uh, Surge has been, you know, listed in Canada for um, a long time. It, um, it used to go by the name of Gold Reach Resources. There was a, uh, you know, rebranding done, you know, quite a number of years ago. Uh, and the company has has owned uh, the Utsa property generally for a long period of time. There's obviously been changes to the exact land position and kind of additions and subtractions and things of like that, of that nature over the years. Um, but importantly, you know, two of the main ore bodies that were progressing their um, east and west seal were, were blind discoveries made by uh, by Surge about 10 years ago. And then, you know, over the subsequent uh, few years, there was uh, there was a few rounds of, uh, of finance that came in and uh, and seasons where those those ore deposits were um, uh, were advanced and then kind of things quieted down during the call it uh, 2015 to 2021 period or 2020 period. Uh, like many other companies in the copper sector, uh, the you know, copper price had retreated from $4 to $2 per pound roughly. And um, you know, finance was harder to come by. And uh, you know, lots, of, lots of companies in the subsector were in more of a, um, uh, you know, a period of, of lower activity and, and surge was no exception. So uh, you know, the, the priorities during that period of time were to keep the, the properties in good standing, kind of lower the burn rate, 
um, opportunistically uh, pick up pieces of ground where, where possible. Uh, there was some geophysics done uh, during that period as well. Uh, and then that was kind of the opportunity that um, this new influx of, of people picked up on. So the, the backstory there, um, and maybe just to tell myself a bit uh, here as well. So I'm a, um, I originally got started in the mining industry. I've got a background in exploration geophysics. So I did some uh, consulting work in that space for uh, a little bit before transitioning pretty early on in my career to the um, financial advisory side of things. So I, I've spent um, uh, the vast majority of my career up to this point uh, as a, um, a mining investment banker, worked in a few different um, pretty well-known um, firms uh, around the world during that time. And so have a um, strong expertise in uh, you know, M&A advisory and uh, Canadian capital markets transactions. And so I was uh, during 2021, sorry, 2020 last year uh, in that seat, I was working with a, um, a few individuals who were, um, you know, relationships of mine and uh, the copper market really hadn't taken off yet or really hadn't started its uh, turnaround that we, we are in the middle of now. Uh, but lots of the lots of the signs were there in terms of uh, the supply and demand dynamic, and um, I think the the makings of a very robust bull market were starting to become evident. And so, uh, you know, we, we we sort of had a, a look at the landscape of jurisdictions, and then within the places that we thought were um, you know ranked very high uh, from a location perspective, we we went through some specific. Um, you know, assets and, and, uh, and project uh, opportunities. And this area around Huckleberry and, and particularly what Surge had uh, at the time profiled very, very well. It's a very interesting uh, combination of, of, uh, of factors that I touched on at the beginning, but the consolidation piece um, was uh, an opportunity that seemed, you know, ripe for the taking. And so there was a sequence of events where, um, you know, a there was an approach made to to surge and um, you know kind of inviting to uh, make an investment into the company with uh, with two individuals coming onto the board uh, on the back of the investment uh, and then a strategy really laid out uh, from from there on forward to um, recruit some new talent to the business on the management side of things and and um, you know pursue some of these consolidation opportunities. So uh, that's we've had. I would say tremendous success in that regard so far, and we're still um, moving along. We uh, we approached a company called Sintera Gold in uh, in December, or a little bit uh, prior to, to that, but the, uh, the transaction announced in December just before the holidays. Uh, so we, as you alluded to in the beginning, we um, we signed a uh, an earning option agreement with Sintera on the Berg property. Uh, so at a very high level, it was a, a five million dollar. Um, kind of cash payment component uh, or upfront payment component. Uh, it was actually done in shares. Uh, and then the remainder of the option earning uh, agreement uh, requires sort of dollars to go into the ground. So the spending component. And that from, from where we sit today, it's about $8 million over, over five years. We've, we've just started into that. So we're sort of um, already incurring costs that are creditable against that. But um, uh, I would say that's a very uh, you know good deal. It's very accommodating, and um, we should have no trouble um, you know investing those um, that level of money in, in a very um, high value sort of way over the coming five years. Um, I think we were very fortunate to do that deal when we did. Uh, obviously, the copper market has changed a lot since then. 
some of Sentara's circumstances have changed as well. So, um, you know, they're obviously happy to have a very focused team uh, with clear synergies in relation to this, this project leading the charge to, uh, to um, you know, run the program and, and direct some investment toward it. So they're very supportive of what, what we're doing, but nonetheless, I, I think it was a, a big achievement of us to um, uh, execute that uh, consolidation at the time that we did. Uh, and then there, there's another target in the area called Burget, uh, not to be confused with the bird. Uh, it's, it's on the same property package. It sits a bit over to the, the east. Um, so it's kind of almost uh, due north of, uh, of Huckleberry. Uh, and this is one of the more advanced exploration targets uh, really in the whole district, including what we have down at uh, Agutza. Uh, it is drill confirmed. Um, there's you know, lots of different geophysical, geochemical, and you know, geological reasons why uh, it's an exciting target. Um, and there was kind of holes or, or gaps in the claim package around that. So we subsequently did uh, two different uh, deals or agreements with, uh, with private vendors to, to patch that in. So that's now consolidated. So it's a mix of 100% uh, surge and, and then 70% you know, surge in that, uh, in that option agreement. And, uh, and then there's just some other staking uh, that we've done for free as well. So a few different components, but pulled together uh, this really large land package. It's all contiguous, uh, which, which always helps. And, um, uh, and it obviously, as I said at the very top, it flanks or effectively surrounds uh, a 20,000 ton per day mine and mill complex that uh, is on care maintenance has a very clear path to be brought back into production subject to uh, you know some of the economic reviews that its, its owner is uh, is undertaking and um, you know I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that when this mine went on care maintenance uh, back in 2016 it had a reserve life at that time of about five years so uh, we'll see where they get to but I think one of the characteristics of Huckleberry that is germane to this whole discussion is that it's got a relatively short reserve life and so the potential future of this of this district anchored by uh, all that infrastructure is um you know very strong potential that it's uh, it's going to involve um you know the ore deposits and, and assets that we're uh, developing yeah uh you it a lot of this it took a lot of time and effort to get all this put together and you did mention it is very brown fields in nature in fact uh both berg and utsa do have resources on it uh, let's see, Berg's looks to have, um, 1.1, oh, excuse me, uh, Utsa has about 1.1 billion pounds of copper and 1 million ounces of gold measured and indicated, uh, the Berg joint venture, um, I'm not quite sure where those, uh, what, what are the resources at Berg sitting at now? Uh, yeah, so we, we tend to think of our, uh, you know, porf I think porphyry resources are, are more commonly thought about in terms of, you know, the tons of. Of a rock, if you will, and the kind of combined okay. grade. But um, so, so Berg is a uh, is, is a large deposit. Um, it's about the, the current uh, resource estimate in the MI categories is um, uh, about 610 million tons uh, at grades, which in the manner in which we calculate them, which is um, uh, consistent throughout all all of our disclosure. I, I won't sort of labor the details there, but it's a, um, a copper equivalent calculation that um, uh, has, comes out at a grade of about 0.41% uh, copper equivalent. So contained within that bird uh, pit constrained resource estimate uh, to get down to the contained metals is about 3.7 billion pounds of copper, uh, 419 million pounds of, of 
molybdenum and 59 million ounces of silver. So Berg is a, uh, it is a copper moly silver porphyry deposit. Um, I would say just one point to make there, which is actually an interesting feature and, and opportunity that uh, we're looking to capitalize on. Uh, you know, a lot of the 53,000 odd meters that, of historical drilling that underpins that, that database that um, um, you know, ultimately culminates in that resource I just mentioned, uh, a lot of that was done, uh, you know, quite a bit of time ago under the tutelage of Plaster Dome and um, uh, Terrain. And they only started assaying the core for silver probably, you know, halfway through that, um, that period of time. So about half of the, uh, the resource database or the drill database has assays for silver. They tend to come out in the kind of six and a half gram per ton range. Uh, and then the other half of the database uh, was just never assayed. And so in our uh, estimation procedures or calculations, it was assigned a zero grade. So uh, when I quote that number, it's not a huge part of the overall economics, but it, it does count. Um, it's, it's not immaterial either, but I, I mentioned 59 million ounces of silver. Uh, so that's based on an average grade of three grams per ton that comes out by averaging zero and zero or no assays were ever taken and you know, six, six and a half where they were. So we actually still have all the pulp and um, you know, core and storage. And so uh, one of the, one of the um, objectives in the near future for us is to go through that uh, historical physical database, do some representative sampling and try to rectify that issue. So we think there's some uh, you know, relatively easy additions to make in terms of the, measure, the measured kind of contained silver uh, and, and the uh, implied grade from that uh, in the deposit. So a bit of a long answer, but Berg uh, yeah. is a big, big component of our resource inventory, 610 million tons. Just to uh, touch on Utsa in the same, uh, you know, set of numbers, uh, that's three deposits, uh, East Seal, West Seal, and Ox. Uh, the total inventory there is 224 million tons at uh, a slightly higher average grade of 0.44% copper equivalent. Uh, and then the contained inventory there is 1.1 billion pounds of copper, 1.1 million ounces of gold, 104 million pounds of uh, molybdenum, and 20 million ounces of silver. So the big difference between the two is uh, the UTSA deposits are definitely um, much higher um, they're, they're gold-rich uh, porphyry deposits, and Berg doesn't have a, an appreciable uh, gold component. Well, th the reason I wanted to just kind of get that out there is because when you talk to porphyries, they, we're talking a very, we're talking a large project here, two projects, uh, and it's that old adage, you know, porphyries aren't discovered; they're built by drilling. And we've we've had a number of conversations here on the podcast about porphyry deposits and really the long life it takes from discovery to actually getting into something into production, which is, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 years. So a long lifeline there up into potential actually mining. Uh, but what, given the nature of everything you have from Utsa to Berg, uh, you know, what is it safe to say? How much, how much of that time frame that I just described has been kind of mitigated uh, through all this, based on the, all the historic drilling and the resource estimation? You know, how is that? Has that time frame uh, really been? Uh, has it been halved? Is it is it safe to say it's been halved, uh, or has it just been expedited, increasingly expedited because of all the previous work done? Uh, yeah, I mean, part of the. I think part of the nuance to why 
ore deposits of any any flavor, but you know big ones in particular uh, take time is because of uh, because of cycles, of course, and uh, you know this, obviously with bigger projects the capital is a lot bigger, and so you need to you know the ideal circumstances are that you know all of the all of the work required for a project to be shovel ready in terms of the technical de-risking, the, the feasibility studies, uh, permitting, all that stuff, you know, in an, in an ideal world, a cost of capital and invest in them such that, uh, you know, the project kind of comes online and hits its sort of payback period uh, in the right uh, time or right, right uh, sort of market conditions. And so, um, you know, it, it's not, when you look at old, old deposits or old projects like this, it's not as if there's been, this is never the case where, you know, something is discovered in the 60s and then has consistent work done on it for that period of time and it takes 40 years to, to develop. There's, there's always, you know, deposits that um, are, are drilled and then the market kind of falls away and they go, put up, you know, they're put on the shelf for a period of time and then, uh, and then they're advanced again. And so um, that sort of characterizes, I think, why uh, a lot of um, mineral projects, not just in copper, but in lots of other uh, you know, metals and, and environments take a, a long time to go from uh, to production. You, you really need exceptional circumstances uh, for it to work out in one fell swoop from discovery to uh, to production. Uh, it doesn't happen, not just a, you know, super high quality ore deposit, but all those other um, circumstances and factors around, you know, permitting and, and uh, you know, commodity prices and, and market timing. Um, but uh, but in the case of these deposits and this this area in general, um, I can't obviously be too prescriptive about you know timelines and what it would uh, ultimately look like to get something like this in, into production because we're not at that kind of point in time where we have a uh, an extremely well defined project concept that is on the cusp of being sort of submitted for for permits. Uh, that that's sort of where your timeline starts to become really crystallized, but. Um, you know, the important point, I think, is that the, these two deposits are already, um, they're mature from a uh, resource estimation perspective. So there's been a lot of mm -hmm. sunk capital already uh, in terms of or historical investment in terms of building up that, uh, that drill hole database. So uh, as I mentioned at Berg, it's, it's sort of around 53,000 meters, 54,000 meters. Uh, the overall uh, Utsa area, excluding you know target drilling in the on those properties that, that haven't you know ultimately been encapsulated or, or, or captured into a, a resource model. Um, so the, the total kind of resource drilling database today uh, is now in excess of uh, you know 130,000 meters. So um, that's stuff that takes real time, and and um, uh, it's sort of to our our current benefit that uh, that's that's in the bag. Um, you know, going forward from from here, what do you do with projects like this? You obviously have to, um, you know, start to to, to crystallize the concept of uh, what it's going to look like to mine it, what it's going to look like to, uh, you know, process it, and um, and what the overall kind of layout and environmental impact uh, considerations are. And you know, we're not we're not um, you know currently giving extremely precise or firm guidance to the market uh, yet in terms of timelines for us there, partly because, you know, we did it, we did a historical PEA back in 2016 that explicitly looked at uh, leveraging some of that infrastructure at Huckleberry. That remains a pretty, I think, unique and interesting aspect of the opportunity set here, but what's never been done on, uh, on the assets that Surge is, is advancing today is 
uh, is really give it a fair assessment on kind of any standalone features. So we're doing a bunch of work uh, in the background on that, uh, you know, progressing and updating resources as part of it, um, uh, kind of something called strategic mind planning is another. So, you know, before you ultimately put a pin in, in, a, in a concept that gets um, memorialized in a PEA type study, there's often a lot of benefit in looking at different scenarios at different sizes and, and you know, options A, B, C, D, that, that sort of thing. So a bunch of that work was going on in the background, but um, you know, conceivably these sorts of projects, given the prior investment in, uh, in drilling, preliminary met, things like that, lot, lots of long lead time environmental baseline work, uh, you know, Surge has been uh, you know, dutifully uh, pursuing over the years and we're continuing to do that, ramping up some of that work, in fact. So we've got a lot of the important pieces in place such that uh, you know if we did uh, if we did have a project concept that was going to be uh, accelerated into those types of studies where you have a project you're putting it into you know the permitting uh, timeline uh, you, you could sort of set the clock going on on those things and and that again is it's hard to be overly prescriptive I think in BC you know the, the permitting regime is uh, to its credit it's very um, you know, clear and well established, and there isn't a lot of uh, uncertainty around that. It's very thorough. Uh, you know, the flip side is that obviously timelines are, are very long, and um, you know, other people have said it better than I will that there's uh, there's probably room for uh, for improvement uh, along that. So, um, you know, timelines to permit something once you have that that project that is being tabled for permit applications. Um, you know, it can range in the sort of five to ten year time frame. So. You know, all all big porphyry deposits uh, or, or projects of that scale. Um, you know, they've got big timelines like that. I don't think, uh, from an investor perspective, that needs to be a um, uh, you know a detractor or or a big surprise. It's a well trodden sort of path in this business that uh, shareholders can you know make uh, really exceptional returns on on investment by shepherding a project you know from point a to point b along that curve whether or not you're the one to build it there's still uh, i think very very um concrete um you know real real value creation uh, along that path uh, and again not not to make too much of it but um what i said at the top about why this area is special is because of the infrastructure so um there's a mill there there's a there's a power line there there's a road there those are aspects of, of a project that uh, can really, you know, if you're talking about a permitting and development timeline that is in that five to 10 year range, it's really, you know, needing to do those things from scratch uh, that can push you into the uh, upper bounds of those, uh, those ranges. So I, I think, um, you know, the way we see this district is Huckleberry is a, is a mine that um, while the, you know, economic question still needs to be answered and addressed by its owner, uh, I think there's a pretty clear path back into production given the current market environment uh, of you know that latent infrastructure in this district, and then uh, you know what the future holds after that is uh, is is really for us to progress and de-risk, and we've got a pretty uh, you know clear strategy that we're we're prosecuting to do that. Uh, Leaf, I, I only got a couple minutes left here. We are kind of running long, but I do just want to get a general sense of uh, the capitalization of the company. Uh, it's you're sitting about uh, I don't know seventy million market cap right now, give or take. I think as the last I saw, um, you know, it gives a sense of how the company's formalized and how much cash you have in the bank after that fourteen million dollar financing. 
Uh, yep, sure. So market cap uh, a bit less than that at the moment. So kind of in the uh, 60 to $65 million range. Uh, we, we went out uh, in, in the June timeframe uh, with a, a bought private placement. Uh, we went out for 10 million, uh, lots of demand for that. It was ultimately upsized uh, to 14. Uh, so we just closed that uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, the cash balance, you know, today um, uh, probably sits around, uh, you know, 15 and a half million dollars, roughly. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers the, the question on, on capitalization. Um, you know, the other, I guess, important aspect of our, uh, our cap table is, um, you know, the financing that was done last fall, uh, I, I characterize it as a recap uh, type deal. So the company was... Uh, you know, had been in that hiatus mode or, or you know, period of low activity. Uh, so it was, you know, sitting with a pretty low level of cash, low market cap. Uh, new group came in and sort of uh, restarted things with a, a six and a half million dollar uh, deal. That, that transaction had a full warrant on it. And then the, the uh, second round financing, if you will, that we just completed uh, had a, um, a half warrant on it. So uh, the total sort of outstanding options and warrants is around 72 million. Uh, that, that does form a you know important part of our financing picture over the next couple of years, though. There's um, you know quite a large uh, number of hard dollars that will come into the treasury of the company, uh, you know, as those are um, are, are exercised uh, over the next um, you know approximately two years. So I think taken together, the we, we consider the runway that we have. Uh, to be, you know, pretty robust, uh, definitely over a, a, a sort of two-year time frame, uh, and we are really kicking off after this uh, financing that we just closed. Probably one of the busiest uh, periods of time in the company's history. So, uh, very sort of big set of programs that we're just starting. Um, we've, we've provided some, I think, guidance to the market on the different buckets that that will fall into, but it's very, um, you know, exploration heavy. A mix between um, fleshing out some of the uh, the near resource areas at both um, you know the seal deposits and Berg, uh, and then testing a whole bunch of regional exploration targets that uh, are quite exciting. I mean, there's uh, they haven't been tested uh, before in many cases, and um, as I said at the very top, I think there's uh, outstanding potential in this district to make, make a new discovery, and that can really uh, that can really yeah, change the change the sort of complete picture for um, a project like this. Uh, Leaf, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for taking your time to uh, give us that introduction here to Surge Copper. And uh, we look forward to reporting uh, a lot of the news and drill results coming out of uh, Berg and Utsa here in the coming months. So until then, I uh, hope you and the crew stay safe and all the best to you. Yeah, thanks a lot again for the invite, Trevor. It was, uh, it was my pleasure. Appreciate it. Uh, that's your introduction to Surge Copper. Uh, for those interest, interested, they do trade on the TSX Venture with the symbol S-U-R-G. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with some more interviews later today. Stay tuned. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.